living a creative life is exploring life. If you let fear or expectation get in the way, you don't explore life. Welcome to the Generation Youth Podcast, where we ignite the future by empowering our youth. I'm James McLamb, your host, founder, and CEO of Generation Youth, and the author of the best-selling book, Tomorrow's Youth. Whether you're a parent, an educator, youth pastor, or coach, join us as we dive into the pressing issues facing our young people today. Together, we'll unlock the strategies, insights, and inspiration to elevate and equip our next generation. Stay with us and let's make a difference one youth at a time. Welcome to the Generation Youth Podcast. I'm your host, James McLam, and today I have my new friend, Aaron, with me. How are you doing, Aaron? I am good, James. Yes, that energy. I love it. I am ready. Well, I, you and I connected through Instagram, but people, you know how the algorithms will show you people that are like-minded or suggest some things, and I don't even know how through clicking through various things that we connected, but I immediately felt some synergy with what you were saying and loved your energy. So I reached out and now you and I get to talk and I'm excited. And I love that. And I love when social media does that. And I will say working in the youth market and speaking market outside of the classroom, I love the community. Like it has introduced me to some really cool people. I love networking with like-minded people uh, for us to join together, to be able to, you know, impact youth in a positive manner. I feel like so many times we work in silos, you know, and, and we, we feel like we're the only ones out there. And it's so great to be able to, to connect together in that kind of audience. So, Aaron, if you wouldn't mind, our audience loves for our guests to introduce themselves. They, they get tired of hearing from James. They want to hear from the audience. From, from our all-star guests. So if you wouldn't mind, introduce yourself to our audience. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me, Jane. It's an honor. Anytime I get to share my voice and message with like-minded people, I am in full gratitude. I am in gratitude that I get to do this work. So my name is Erin Pampa. I'm a speaker and a coach. And it took me a long time to figure that out, a long journey of what am I doing? Where am I going? What am I impacting in this world? My mission is to wake people up to their potential through engaging, educational, hard-hitting, real conversations. I spent 14 years in the classroom, and I know what it's like when students are banked with information, when human beings are banked with information. That's not how I ran my classroom. That's not how I run conversations with people. So whenever I present and I speak, I want that human connection, and I don't want to camouflage it with like rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. No, life is hard, but okay, what are you going to do about it? And I like to use my own personal story and my own personal struggles to help inspire people and impact them to know that they can live a different life. And I speak and serve in three capacities right now. I'm a youth speaker and I speak a lot about navigating negative thoughts, becoming like a warrior of yourself and also how to live a creative life. And I also do those same things in the corporate realm. And I talk about being more creative in your corporate job to foster innovation, shifting your negative thoughts to strengthen communication, and structuring your presentations to drive better engagement. And lastly, I'm a public speaking one-on-one coach. People hire me if they want to do a keynote, a wedding toast, anything. Let me tell you, if you are going to speak for more than three minutes in front of people, I'm going to make sure you do it well. I'm going to make sure you do it well. And the last thing is I just started a philanthropy, which I'm so 
excited about. I grew up in the hood. I grew up in the nice side of the hood, but yet I was still in the hood. And I worked in the hood for 14 years where I grew up. And I now have a philanthropy where 15% of my proceeds on certain services goes towards starting a scholarship fund for people, students of Patterson, and also adopting a school and will bring in character development education. So I'm so excited to see where that goes. Beyond that, I'm a spiritual warrior. I'm so glad that I am emotionally intelligent and realize that self-work is just as important as achievements. I am a wife, a dog mom, a daughter, a mother, and I live life imperfectly and just do the best I can each day. Well, that's about the best introduction we've had in a while from a guest. <laughs> that was some great energy that I was thinking. <laughs> Most folks can't match the energy I have because it's my guest is my audience. So a lot of times I'll I'll do a little pre-workout formula before I jump on here. To <laughs> do, you really? do you really? Do you? I do. I do. Yeah, I that's great. And I think I would have had to have a triple dose this morning to be able to match that. <laughs> well, you, you want to know something funny? People always, I don't know if this happened to you. When I was growing up, a lot of my life, especially being a dancer, I would compare myself to other people and worry about what other people had. It, it could be anything. And I'm in a season of my life where I'm owning what I do well. And mm. I know I come with energy. And that is just one of my gifts. And I'm not going to dim my light anymore and try to have someone else's light. So I hope people that are listening, if nothing else, just remember you have your own gifts and you don't have to go after somebody else's. Mm, I love that. I love that. When you were doing your intro, one thing that I wrote down that just jumped out at me because it's something that is part of our mission here at Generation Youth. You talked about helping youth navigate their negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that is speaking to me in so many different ways, mainly because my youngest daughter is a middle school uh, girl, you know, eighth grader. And if there's any group of people who have negative thoughts, it is middle school girls. They wake up thinking negatively about themselves and there's no reason for them to, to live in that negativity. So I love that focus. Tell me why that speaks to you in such a powerful way and, and, and how you came to find that as one of your core missions. Well, I am a spiritual person and, and God delivered that to me. And that's all mm. like, that's, that's what it is. It's, I went on, I came from a dance background, got my undergrad in dance, got my master's in dance and was a high school dance teacher in the school that I graduated from for 14 years. So I arrive at this school and I'm like, I'm going to teach these kids dance. I'm going to make them <laughs> the damn dancers they can be. And they had so many emotional problems. Not like everyone has emotional problems, but they didn't know how to regulate their emotions. They didn't know how to deal with conflict. They didn't know how to articulate what was on their mind. So although I taught dance, a lot of my work was reaching these students and helping them see their self-worth and writing mm. those negative thoughts. So when it came a time, and I'm so blessed that I have an opportunity to do this, to think about after teaching what I really want to do, I know that speaking is my vocation. Like that is my gift given to me. And, and I started it when I was in the classroom and now I get to do it full time. And when I thought about what to speak on, it's the negative thoughts. Like mm -hmm. those negative thoughts have haunted me and still haunt me. And it's only because I know how to reframe now that I'm in a better place. But when I was a teenager with my students, I saw the impact these negative thoughts could have on how you treat yourself, how you treat others and how you show up in the world. So it wasn't really a question of like, what am I going to talk about? It was more of like having the courage to talk about it because sometimes I don't know if this happens to you. I can beat myself up and say, well, I don't have a mental health background. I'm not a therapist. 
I didn't go to school for any of these things. So am I of value or do I have a place to speak about this? And I went out and I, and I just started speaking about it. And I saw the value that I have. These kids don't want somebody standing in front of them, giving them academia. They right. don't that it. They don't want statistics. They don't want graphs. They want real stories. They want connection. And then I started to see my value and the work that I was needed to do in this world. Why do you think youth are struggling so much? More so than it, it's an eternal problem, you know, d- doubting yourself and having problems with self-image and, and, and thinking negative of yourself. That is not a new problem. That's an eternal problem. But why do you think it's now really amplified? Why do you think we're seeing it much more now than even in previous generations? Obviously, because of social media, right? The internet, social media opens Mm -hmm. up a whole new can of worms, right? Kids can scroll all the time and compare themselves or not think they're good enough. But I don't even think that it wasn't that loud in my generation or your generation, but we didn't talk about it. I grew up, I was born in 1980. I went to high school in the the 90s, college in the early 2000s. There was no mental health awareness. So I don't think it's the fact that it's louder now. I just think it's the fact that it's talked about now because these are the conversations I needed growing up. And I faced my own hardships because I didn't have a resource to understand what was going on internally and how to work through it. And my parents are great parents. They had six kids. They don't have time to sit us each down and say, you know, this is emotional intelligence. This is not my parents led by example. And because of the people they are, I am who I am. But in school where I spent eight hours a day, seven hours a day, I needed some education around this. Mm -hmm. And yes, in schools, they have SEL and social emotional learning. But again, it's how it's delivered. Is it engaging? Are people teaching it in engaging ways? Are you reaching students? Are you coming to them as a person? Or are you coming to them like you're a teacher or you're higher than them? So that's what I think. Wow, that's powerful. I love that. And and I agree with you. I, I noticed watching old sitcoms from the 50s, family sitcoms, that the stories were centered around these issues of, of uh, the characters, you know, the young characters, the children in the sitcom struggling with self-image. This was from the 50s. And they were still talking about it then. And and we could even go back to biblical stories in the old Bible when you see them struggling with negative thoughts. So you're exactly right. It is an eternal problem. It's a problem that's Mm -hmm. that way. We just are talking about it in a different way. So you're going to groups. You're speaking to youth. What are you telling them? You know, they're sitting there and there's a lot of them and they're, they're going to hear what you're saying there. And some of them are going to, it's going to click with them. Hey, She's talking about me. I have that problem. So what are we telling? So telling them that's a, what am I, what's the exchange I'm creating between them and I, and why, why, why do I say that? Because I spent 14 years in the classroom and I started out telling my students, right? Like, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. And yeah, that kind of way of approaching education works until it doesn't. So on my journey, I realized I have to create an exchange. So I create an exchange. Above all, doesn't matter what comes out of my mouth. It has to be engaging and it has to get them moving and thinking. Mm -hmm. That's the root. And whatever else I say doesn't matter. But if you have the best speech, the best workshop, the best class in the world, if you can't get people engaged, if you don't get them moving and thinking, it don't matter what's coming out of your mouth. You could solve the world's problems and nobody will listen because they're not interested in your delivery. 
So that's the foundation. And I have a framework. I use my personal story, my personal journey, and parts of it I only share with the youth that I speak with. It's not something that I'm willing and open to share out loud now. So whenever I'm hired, I ask the people if they want me to share that part of my story. And if they say yes, I share it. And that is kind of the basis of the talk. And then we talk about, the students and I talk about thoughts that come in our head. And we play a game where they identify and share the thoughts that come in their head. And that's hard to open up kids and make them talk. But again, it's being engaging and inviting and showing your vulnerability. And that's what I do with them. And then I take them through my framework. It's shifting your perspective through acceptance, gratitude, and service. So basically, I take them on this journey of identifying their negative thoughts and how it makes them feel. We talk about how many negative thoughts they have a day. And we talk about, see, everybody has them. I tell my story. Then we talk about, okay, but then how did I get better? How do I live a happy life now? That's not based on my achievements. And that's a big thing because I was a high achiever, grew up in the hood. And these kids that I talk to have a lot of pressure to be high achievers. So my mm -hmm. whole point of my talk is how can you live a happy life when things don't work out the way you don't want th that you want them to? Because they won't all the time through perspective shift, through acceptance, gratitude, and service. And I take them through that. Hmm. Why do you pick those three things? First off, I love that. I just love it. <laughs> and it speaks to what we do as well and, and stuff. But why, uh, tell our audience why those are three that you really love. Because that has helped me survive my life. Hmm. Perspective shift, like any area of my life. I mean, I'll give an example. I got married in my 40s, wanted kids. It's not an easy journey. Now, I can feel the pain of that but I need to have a perspective shift if I want to go along my life and live a happy life. And how do I do that? Through accepting that this is what it is right now. And it doesn't determine my self-worth by practicing gratitude. Okay. I don't, we don't have the kids we want now, but what am I grateful for? Okay. I'm grateful. We have insurance. I'm grateful. We have money to do what we need to do. And then service when I'm in my feelings, how can I pick up the phone and just tell somebody else, how are you doing today? Getting out of myself along with other things. Those are concepts that I use daily in my life to live a life that feels good for me, even though it's not perfect. You know what I'm hearing most of is how authentic you are with the audiences that you're working with. And that's going to come across. So that, that's going to invite them to be more open and, and have that exchange that you talk about. You're very authentic in, in the way that you are sharing. And, and I love that when you were talking about the exchange and sharing stuff and the different ways that people communicate, I'm reminded of, a, of saying that John Maxwell has, you know, that everyone communicates, few connect. Mm. There are so many people who, who want to speak to groups and share a message. And they're more about the technique or the polish or the, mm -hmm. rather than connection to someone. Right. And I learned that from the classroom. I think that one of the best gifts I've had in this world beyond being able to impact kids beyond like that job was my vocation when I did it at that time. But that is one of my strengths of coming in and speaking to youth. An educator is like the, the stomping ground if you want to learn how to present. Like, how are you going to hold the attention of kids? And it even works with adults. That's the thing. Sometimes it's so interesting. People think because people are adults, you have to you have to make things more serious or more, more, more like, I don't know like boring. No, mm -hmm. that's not me. If you stand in front of me and tell me information and you're boring, I am going to zone out because I need my attention held. Mm. 
Well, I think it's also that authenticity too, that, you know, that they feel like you're real and that they, that you're not just trying to sell them something, mm -hmm. uh, that, that you're really trying to help them along their journey. When we're training you young people to speak, because we, we do that as well. One of the things we talk about is we use examples of, of someone with, that was a big name that came to a youth convention that had 60,000 people sitting in Lucas Oil Stadium and they had paid this person tens of thousands of dollars to come in and speak. And she fell flat. She had a great story. She was really well known, but she fell flat. And then Bob Goff, the author and speaker, came in the next year, spoke to the same group. And I asked one somebody when they were leaving what they thought. And the very first thing they said was, I felt like that I was the only person in that room with him. And I was like that. And and, and polish wise, Goff was not as... Uh, refined in his mm -hmm. delivery. Now he was very good, very good, but it was more of a conversation. And I just love that. And I, and I can feel that energy that, that your audiences are probably feeling with you that like this person cares, but they wouldn't be here. And I think that's the thing. Cause I'm always listening to podcasts or getting perspectives about speaking. And one of the most challenging things for me was to memorize my keynote because I didn't want it to strip me from mm. that grittiness. And it's something that I still play with, but I think something that helps me is I'm very, I can feel the energy of people. So if I feel it shift, I can tap in and go close to them or shift how I'm delivering something depending on how the energy of the room shifts. So I think that's a key in speaking too. You, you have to do it from a place where you want to deliver your content, but you're also open to the energy in the room and you're okay to adapt and shift with that and meet them where they are. Mm, I love that. So let's get back to, we, let's just say we got some educators listening to us and mm -hmm. they're like, I really love your acceptance, gratitude and service, but I want to, I want to help my students be grateful for their situation because they're always mm -hmm. struggling with that. And they're always got some complaints and they're always negative about mm -hmm. what's going on in life. What could you tell them to help them instill some some principles of gratitude into their um, into their students? I love that. So first of all, you don't want to just walk in and say, "Today we're going to practice gratitude," because kids will be like, "What? What are you talking about? Like, why am I doing that?" <laughs> so you have to figure out, and there's so many ways to do this. Is how you're going to introduce your students to the idea of gratitude, right? Are you going to do uh, 10, 10 minutes of your lesson? Is just going to are you going to tell a story about a day you had and how gratitude helped you and invite them to share their perspective on gratitude, right? Or are you going to play a game where they write down something that's bothering them? And, oh, I love games. Maybe each student writes down something that's bothering them and places it in the room and another student picks it up and says what, what you can be grateful for in spite of that. Like, how are you going to introduce it to them in a fun, engaging way? And then something simple, like, what, what is your classroom? I understand. And I know that like I taught dance and people often, I get nervous telling people I taught dance because people get it. Your wife was a music teacher. People get it twisted. They think I'm going mm -hmm. in just to teach a plie and a tandu. No, these kids had academics. They had rigor in dance. Like it was not like, go, go have fun. It was like, no, work your butt off. Right. But you still have to build your class environment. So does that mean if you have older students that every morning, they come in for the first five minutes and you have a gratitude journal practice or a discussion, mm -hmm. right? Or a gratitude circle. It's about building it into your classroom culture, not just one-offs. One-offs don't last. When it's built into the culture of your classroom, students will start to embody it. 
I wrote that down. Built-in culture. <laughs> hey, that's hashtagable. If you folks want to go on X and hashtag anything, there you go. About two things so far. <laughs> I like it. any of this perspective shift or or service, like it's any of it, building it into your classroom culture. I understand that you have to get your, especially if you're an academic teacher, math, English, whatever, you have to hit your curriculum and you have certain restraints put on you. But I invite you to take one to two to five minutes of your class and start introducing this into your culture. You know, what you just said about, you know, you have curriculum restrictions and those things. That was something I noticed in my time of teaching is how I taught when you were in high school, I was a teacher then in the nineties. And I noticed that during that decade, we had a shift and where I was teaching that at the beginning, there was a lot more flexibility in my daily lessons to be able to add things like this mm -hmm. and be able to do that. Where towards the end of the decade, it was more compressed and more urgent. And, mm -hmm. and now starting in the two thousands with no child left behind and all those kind of concepts, it became even more restrictions. So teachers mm -hmm. lost not the ability, but maybe the the opportunities that they want to have. So they have to be a lot more intentional. Exactly. Uh, than it was. No, I completely understand you. And let's put on now, kids are at a different learning level because of COVID. Mm -hmm. it, it's evident in all classes. So it's a balancing act with a teacher to define what's of value. I don't think we live in a culture anymore where the value could just be placed on academic excellence. The value needs to be placed on who are we building as humans mm -hmm. because they're exposed to social media. They're exposed to things and these things are imprinting on them and making them react to society and to themselves. So it's like, where are you putting the value and then making the decisions to, to change it if you want to put it also on them developing as a person. And then that means a challenge to the teacher, sorry, is to develop as a yeah. person too. Like that was one of the hardest things. And the biggest eye-opening, I wanted these things for my students to process their emotions, to take criticism. Then I had to look at myself and say, oh, where do I have to do this work? How do I lead in my life with these concepts if I'm asking my students to do the same thing? Mm. Mm. Preach. Keep <laughs> preaching. <laughs> I right. love that. And I'm writing down stuff. For those of you who are listening and are wondering, why is James pausing there for so long? That's because I am writing my notes down. on. You take good notes. You take good notes. <laughs> well, I've told my guests before, I learn more than probably anybody else does. And I'll steal everything that, he, that has been told to me and, and regurgitate it out some. Yes, uh, like, it, it's all borrowed with a different spin on it anyway. Mr. Ziegler used to say, Mr. Zig Ziegler used to say that when you're quoting somebody that has really good content, you would say, as Aaron once said, and then the second time you repeat it, say, as someone I once heard said, <laughs> and then the third time you repeat it, you go, as I have always said. I love that. So eventually, that's how it kind of migrates on mine as, as, as it goes, goes forward great. on that. I want to jump back to the gratitude game that you mentioned just a minute ago, because yeah. you flew through that, and I wrote that down, and I was like, I want to figure out a way to integrate that in some of the workshops that I do. I and that. because I believe that could also be done in a family situation, in a church mm -hmm. situation, in a youth group, in a uh, youth organization or athletic team organization. Yes. So when you were talking about write down something that you were repeat that back and, and let I mean, our audience. Know. I am like an activity ninja. My friend laughs at me. That one was just made up. I make up activities all the time. You just made that up. Yes, because I don't, because I don't like to oh, be cool. bored. Like I cannot be bored. 
And I'm always like, hmm, how can we bring this to life in a fun way? So I made it up. I'm like, okay, what if every student walked in and wrote down something that's that's challenging them? They might say like, students, what they always say now is like, oh, I have this test or I didn't want to come to school, right? They'll write anything down. So it depends on you if you want to stretch them and help them go deeper or if you're okay with that surface. It might be okay to start with surface. Then they all fold it up and place it around the room. And then you can do like a countdown where they all have to grab one of the notes that they didn't write and you say freeze. So you're like five, four, three, two, one, grab it, freeze. It can't be yours. Pick it up, read it, stand in a circle in five, four, three, two, one. I love a countdown. It always works. And then going and you explain the directions. Okay. Don't read your paper. Each of you has something that is going wrong or doesn't feel good in one of your peers' life. I want you to open the paper. I'm going to give you five seconds to look at it. And I want you to share what they can be grateful for in spite of that thing. You're going to go around the circle, read the thing that's challenging them and write what they could be grateful for. And then go around the circle and do it. Ask them how it felt. Was it uncomfortable? Did it help? Yeah. Did they learn anything? Yeah. Is that help? Yeah. How, how could they use that throughout the day? And you just get, that just came to you right there? Yes, I love activities. I love All right. activities. We, we got to name this thing and we got to put this out there because this is good. We got to come up with a cute name for this. Yeah. Do a, you know, that's going to show up somewhere. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Really Let that. me know how it goes if you do it. Uh, yeah, I actually, my wife is a cheerleading coach and mm -hmm. from, from middle school and I was just thinking, that might be a good activity for them to do when they get back from the holiday. Because for the audience who who is wondering what I was talking about, we're recording this before Christmas, so mm -hmm. um, there'll be aspect of that. So love the gratitude. I love the service aspect of it too. There was a guy who wrote a book. He was a Stanford professor, and I cannot remember the name of the book right now, but it's dealing with youth and their purpose, helping Ooh. youth find their purpose. And one of the concepts that he goes in there is that the opposite of depression is not happiness, it is purpose. And I think that part of finding your purpose is exploring op avenues of service. At least that's a, a, a one of the things that yeah. I believe in. This. So tell me about what how you see service being, a, being one of these keys to help them navigate their thoughts as well. Absolutely. And James, if that book comes to your mind, would you mind DMing it to me on Instagram? I'm when we get off, I'll just walk over to my shelf and get okay. it. So. All right. Thank you. So I was selfish. I was an artist. What, I got to get the job. I got to be famous. And then I became a teacher and my selfishness, you know, got smaller because I got to pour into my students, but still at the core, if I was having a problem, I was having a problem and it was all about me. And, you know, mentors along the way have guided me, thank goodness for them and showed me the power in being of service. And at first it was like, a trained act. Like I literally had to do it. If I was going through a hard time, I would have to pause what I was doing, pick up the phone or go do something nice for someone. It was very uncomfortable. And now it's ingrained as a part of my blueprint and my fabric. And it's beautiful. You see somebody at, I, oh, let me tell you this story. So I was in the, the mall shopping because I love to shop. And there was this girl coming out of the dressing room and her mom was in the store and she goes, mom, I just can't do it today. And I knew exactly what she meant that body image, not being able to try on clothes because you do not look the way you want to look. I, the moment she stepped out, her eyes, her body, the sentence, I was like, I know where you're at right now. So her mom and her walked around a little bit more and I paused her and I said, I want you to know you're beautiful. 
And she said, thank you. I needed to hear that right now. Now, I wasn't going through a hard time to say that, but being able to be of service to someone in that moment that was in pain did more for me than it would ever have done for her. It makes me a good human. It makes me feel alive. It makes me be a part of the world being a better place. And a lot of times when we're so focused on our negative thoughts, it's rooted in things not working out the way we think they should. And some of that is really hard. Some of that is illness. Some of that is death. Some of it is not getting into the college of your dreams. And you could focus on you, 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 you. But what happens if you stop focusing on you and what you don't have and shift the focus to be kind and loving to someone else? What does that do to you internally? How does it make you stop worrying about what you don't have and shift your perspective about the value of life? And this is not something they're going to understand in my one hour keynote. I challenge them to go practice it. This is a, a, a life practice, a life work, all of these concepts that you don't have to do perfectly. Mm, that's powerful. I, I am such an advocate for service. As our oldest two who are in their early 20s now were going through high school, we were very intentional in trying to find mm-hmm. avenues either through our church or through their community groups that they were a part of or their school projects to serve in some aspect of another. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it helped mold them and frame them. And for the 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 second child who is who's 20, it was a little bit of a, a tough struggle to get those opportunities because of, you know, he was a junior in 2020, in spring of mm-hmm. 2020. So pandemic. Yeah. And then we got the we had all the summer plan and the senior year plan of what we were going to do. And then I mm-hmm. kind of ran out the door. So we had to find other avenues to doing that. But the the avid the, the aspect of being a, of a servant to someone and serving in some aspects has been ingrained in that. And, and I do think it helps them find a, a small purpose before they can find what their big purpose is. And it could lead to your big purpose. Like when you yeah. open up the service, you're opening yourself up to who you like. You can meet so many people. You know, I my husband and I did service for the holidays, but even more, we would love to do it. Your service could be on a big scale, on a small scale. It's, it's just such a gift to be able to be of service to people. Well, my youngest loves the fact that we, this year, we put a small little table out on the porch, on our front porch that has uh, refreshments on it, you know, little bottles of drink and Gatorade and snacks and the little Debbie Christmas cakes are the most popular. And then we put a sign on it that said to the delivery folks, thank you for your service during this time. We appreciate you. Please take something and go. And the little Debbie cakes get gone all the time. That and the Gatorades, they get gone quickly. Um, because you know, those folks are, they will get more complaints during this time than they will. Yeah. And, and it it costs nothing to be of service to them, to bless them during this time, to be able to say to them, Hey, you know, we appreciate who you are Mm -hmm. and what you're doing. And, and I love that. Maybe it helps our packages be put a little bit more properly. No, I love that. I think I'm going to do that. Thank you. Because you got UPS, FedEx, US yeah. Mail, and Amazon. They're all coming and dropping stuff off uh, during this time quite a bit. And we've told them, I've, I've seen a couple of them when they've picked stuff up and said, look, if you're driving by and you're thirsty or hungry, even if you ain't got anything, just stop, come through the door, get something. It ain't going to bother us. We I love that. This stuff. So, you know, they're Where just, are you from? I love your accent. I'm from North Carolina. North Carolina, I love it. I the love epitome it. of the South. Yeah. <laughs> My sophisticated Southern accent. This I is how we're supposed great. to speak. It's great. It, it's going forward. All right. You talked about being cr- 
creativity and that being a focus of what you do. And I don't want to leave this conversation Mm -hmm. without you sharing with the audience about how you value that and how you speak to you, speak into youth onto that to, to engage them in in finding their creative self. Because, you know, we've all heard those statistics, those studies where they ask five-year-olds how many or think they're creative and almost all of them raise their hand. And then they come back five years and 10 year olds, how many of them think they're creative and less will raise their hand. And then they come back at 15 years old and even less. And at 20, there's almost no one that thinks they're creative. And how did we grow? How did we morph to that point? I love this question. And it's very interesting. This has been a creative journey for me to get to teaching this. As an artist, I thought I knew what creativity was creating in your art and art is everywhere, right? Art is what you're doing right now, James, interviewing. Art is cooking and and dancing and painting. But I never thought about it beyond that. So I read a book by Elizabeth Gilbert called Big Magic. She's also the author of Eat, Pray, Love. And she talks about tapping into your curiosity. And it's very funny. And I don't think there's any mistakes. It was divine. Around that time, I got a job to teach the art of creativity at a college. And this was to like business majors, uh, educate. It was not to any artists. And then I started to ask myself the question, what is creativity? Is everyone capable of living a creative life? And through that exploration, creating the curriculum for that course and reading her book, I realized that creativity is following your curiosity. And what what holds us back from following our curiosity? Fear. What if I tried that? What if I did that? Every single day, we have things tapping us on our shoulder to do. And because we think that we have to be achieving or because we're weighed down by fear, we sometimes ignore it. For example, I had on my shoulder tapping me for a long time to read that book, Big Magic. And I was like, I don't have time. I'm not doing this. I don't have time. I got to do other things. I'm busy. When I read that book and leaned into my curiosity, my world cracked open and it brought me to where I am today of teaching this. So in that workshop, What we do is talk about how to let in your what ifs. What if I tried that? What if I explored that? Allowing yourself to go on a journey of exploration, releasing fear and letting go of expectation that it has to mean that you achieve something. Mm. That's it. (laughs) What? So if a parent, educators listening, they're like, oh, I buy into this, but what's in it for my kid? You know, what's, what's going to be the long, what's going to be the benefit to them? What would you say, you know, give them, give them some, give them some inspiration as we go. The benefit to the kid, the benefit to anybody that allows themselves to do this is to live a life that brings them joy, not bogged Mm. down by a life that is lived by achieving accomplishments. Right. I didn't want to read the book at that time because I thought that it was in alignment with the work that I needed to get done to achieve what I wanted to achieve. I was cutting myself off from perspective in magic, right? Like I got a tap on my shoulder to start running. I didn't do it for a long time because I was in fear of how uncomfortable it was going to be to start. Now I do it and I'm up to six miles. That's what I'm talking about. That's living a creative life. Living a creative life is exploring life. Mm. If you let fear or expectation get in the way, you don't explore life. Like these kids are trying to get into college. They're trying to get good grades. They're trying to be the best athlete. They're trying to be all of these things. But when do they get to explore fabrics of themselves? That is creativity. Painting because you want to paint a picture, not painting so that you're hung in a museum. So that's, that's, I got passionate about that. <laughs> Audience, did you hear that? Living a creative life is exploring life. 
First thing I thought I was in is that the people who engage the most in my observation with being creative are the very young mm -hmm. or the very old who have looked yeah. back and say, I did mm -hmm. not do this. I'm going to do it now mm -hmm. with my time. It's those of us in the middle ooh, that could use it the most. So. That is so good. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Mm. You want to know something else that I had built another business before this one. And I remember I was, I had achieved, I had arrived. Money was coming in. I was impacting and I wasn't happy. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the only thing I was focused on, I did not let myself live a creative life and explore things outside of that. And that's what happens to a lot of people that are stuck in the middle. They look up and say, wait, I'm not happy. Well, you're not happy because you're not letting yourself live. There's going to be some people that are excited. How can our audience uh, connect with you? How, where, where can they find more information to connect with you? Yeah, so you can head to my website, erinpompa.com, and you could learn everything. But I also, I hang out on Instagram. I am in the DMs. So send, I want you to send me a message, and I want you to talk to me. Tell me if you listened and your biggest takeaway from this interview today. And my Instagram is at Aaron P. Speaks with an S on the end. <laughs> yeah. Now, audience, all these... Uh, Links and the Instagram will be in the show notes. So if you're listening to this on an audio podcast, go back to your platform, look in the show notes, you'll find it. If you're watching this on YouTube, you know what to do. Just look straight down. It's right there underneath it. Just click the more and you'll find out more information on it. So Aaron, thank you. This is it. This is exciting. This is going to make the rest of my day full of energy. And, you have so uh, much energy. You're going to get more. I love that. But this was a gift. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. And this is just the first of many things that we're going to do together because I can't let this go. Because this is, this, there's some synergy here that I'm feeling really solid. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Thank you. It was an honor and a pleasure. And audience, thank you for being with us. Listen, if you stuck with us for almost 40 minutes, you've <laughs> obviously found some value in what you're listening to and watching. So please like, share, and comment on this. And give us, a, give us a good review on this so that this particular episode can reach more people. We know how these algorithms go. The more you comment on it, the more it'll be. And we'll see you again next time on the Generation Youth Podcast. And there you have it. Another impactful episode of the Generation Youth Podcast. To all of our listeners out there, remember to hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform so you can never miss an episode. Want to be a part of the Generation Youth community? Follow us on all of our social media platforms. We'll keep you connected with all of our upcoming episodes and inspiring initiatives. You're not just a listener here. You're a catalyst for change. Together, we're building a future filled with promise, potential, and endless possibilities. This journey is just starting. So keep tuning in, keep growing, and let's continue uplifting our youth one episode at a time. Thank you for joining us today. And until next time, let's keep sparking inspiration and igniting the future.